Good morning and welcome to the Weldon Green Podcast. Today we have Ask Weldon Show episode 159. And boy, is it a doozy, almost clocking in at an hour long. And we have some insanely awesome questions that I dig into. Um, the first one is how to cure stage fright when shot calling. Then we dive into how to train while driving a truck and away from home. We have experiential learning versus a learning system for a solo queue climb. And finally, we talk about how do you help other people learn to laugh at themselves. And just a reminder before I jump into it, if you're going to check out the Mac program at mindgames.gg M-A-C, that you guys should use the code podcast. That's podcast spelled podcast. Um, I, I set it to give you a $1 more discount than the Ask Weldon code that we use on YouTube, simply because I want to encourage you guys, if you come from this audio experience, that you use the podcast code, and that way I know where people are coming from and, uh, you know, where, well, where people are coming from. That's that's how I figure out who, who how you heard about the Mac program is through the code, the coupon code that you use. So make sure to use code podcast if you do check it out, and thanks for listening. Good morning and welcome to the Ask Weldon Show, episode 159. This show is going to be about stage fright, the solo queue climb, and being a weekend warrior. Today is going to be a very energetic and hyped show. I got some bad news yesterday, right when I was going to sleep, and I fell asleep and slept about four hours and got up at 1.30 a.m., so I've already drank an entire cup of coffee. Oh, that last drip. Oh, well... And um, and I'm really uh, kind of wired up for the show today. We've already had an amazing time in the pre-show stream on Twitch. You can check that out, twitch.tv slash mindgamesweldon if you want to join the conversation there. And we have amazing questions. We have four audio questions today coming in from Anchor. Uh, by the way, if you want to call into the show yourself, that's anchor.fm slash weldengreen. Uh, we'll show you the instructions when we do the questions. And I really love the questions today. They are, We got some basics coming in. You know, I get these repetitive kind of questions, but... They always have a little bit of nuance to them, and today's nuances are very, very fun. So I want to jump into those in a bit. As far as uh, as far as news, it looks like I might be working with another team in EU a little bit on some consultations coming up soon. And of uh, course, still going on with the TSM stuff. I think that they're going to be playing this weekend, so we'll see how that goes. Remember that I'm effectively doing the same kind of workshops and boot camps that I did with the all the other players, but with Mike. So we're, we're not expecting to see a team-wide strategical impact. Those are all dependent on Song and Lustboy and the in-house coaching staff. I'm not attending scrims. All the credit and the growth of the team is probably, is mostly going to be due to, to Mithy and the coaching staff, kind of like working through what they're doing in terms of synergy. Probably there's a lot of Parth and Reggie in there as well. So make sure that when you're, when you're divvying up credit on Reddit for any success or failure... For this weekend, that you that you apportion it properly to the people who are putting in the grind and putting in the work. I do not think that uh, you know an hour a week of me um, bringing Mike up to speed on on concepts that the team kind of already knows is going to is going to make the impact that everybody is uh, heralding me for. So I don't I don't I love the spotlight and I love that attention, but I I, I feel hilariously bad when I read people <laughs> crediting me for the O two for the two O weekend. That we had last week. Um, although I will take it, you know, because, uh, you know, YouTube numbers bumping up and up and up. But anyway, just wanted to give that shout out to the coaching staff. I think that it's really cool. I like watching uh, I like watching what Song's been doing with the team. I love the fact that Lustboy's back. I wish he was on more content more. Um, 
doing more, uh, you know, pro wrestling moves, but that it is what it is. Any updates for me? Yeah, I'm, I'm not really going to talk about the bad news yet. Um, that's about it. Should we jump into the show? Let's go. First question is going to be from somebody named Tentacle Pie. I really wish people would actually use maybe their real names when they call into the show so that I don't have to use hilarious stage names like this, but it is what it is. This is eSport and this is in-game names at its finest. All right, let me get on my headset so I can actually hear the question. Hi, Weldon. I am wondering about my disability to make calls in my new team. I, I have been shot calling games with friends and teams before, but as soon as there's a, are new people or people that I think is probably better than me, I seem to just curl up and focus on my own gameplay. Thanks. All right. Great question about stage fright. So let's go ahead and jump into my answer. Um... Yeah, so so stage fright has a lot to do with our our self perception, right, and our perception of what other people think of us. So there's a couple ways to tackle it. First of all, this is really common across the board on pro teams, right? If I was going to work with a with a pro player who was a shot caller and uh, and they were dealing with issues regarding regarding trust and 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 uh, shot calling on their team. This kind of thing that you're calling stage fright or the, and, and by the way, he, he might not have mentioned stage fright in the audio, but he wrote on the name of the question, stage fright is what I think you called it. Um, that, that essentially what you're dealing with is your perception of another person's perception of you, right? Or your perception of what another person is going to think about a mistake that you might make. Okay. So, so th this is really common, and it's a, and it's and it's an absolutely fine way to have a point of view. And this is going to happen, you know, at all levels of play, all the way up to when you're a pro. You're still going to be on teams with people that you respect, that you're nervous about what they're what you, they're going to think about your call or your idea. Okay, especially if you're a novice or a, or a rookie or or somehow in any way, you know, one stage below them in terms of career or in terms of perceived knowledge from the, you know, from, from what you perceive of them. So how do you tackle it? Well, there's two ways to tackle it. There's external and internal. So I'm going to deal with the external first. Team building is the best way to, to do this on any team that you're on. If you're a coach, if you're even the player itself, you want to get into information exchanges with the new people on your team as rapidly as possible. So that means you essentially want to schedule a date with them. You don't want to just talk about league, right? You want to talk about life. And you want to be able to connect with them on the human level as a person so that when they, when you make a call, it's not like the D3 guy or the D5 guy or the master's guy or the whatever rank you are, you know, it doesn't even matter because whatever it is, it's below them. As you said, you're not the D3 guy making the call. Instead, you're, you know, George making the call, right? You're a person who, who has a certain skill set, who has a certain bravado, who is going to make mistakes and going to make good calls. And, and like, it's, you know, when you have a sister and he knows the sister's birthday, you know, and he knows that it's coming up and that you, you know, bought her a little, a little thing for her turning five and, and how cute she is and how much you like playing with her, you know, after Lee. And, you know, you have this connection with them on a human level. And all of a sudden, the ranking in the game and that perceived difference between you two people as people disappears, Right. Because that was based on this like categorization system. And once you connect 
outside the game in terms of like who you are and what is important to you and what you do and, and what you care about, that categorization system matters much less and the results of mistakes and things like that carry less weight because it's George making a mess up and not you know, the D3 guy making a mess up, right? And they can respect you for who you are at the same time that they see, oh, that, w- that wasn't a very good call. And we can talk about the call now and I can give you feedback on it. And you know that I like you as a person because we talked about this other thing. So information exchange, make a date with the new players, get on a call, play some solo queue together, play some duo queue together and have a series of questions that you're both going to work through and answer. I do this with pro teams. I have like a a schedule of 11 questions they have to go through together to build that bond so that they perceive each other as humans beyond the game, you know, and you can come up with those too. You can say things like, uh, you know, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? Tell me about your siblings, you know, tell me about your life. And, and, And the exchange of information creates this bond. Okay, so that's the external way to deal with it. And it is the proper way to kind of handle that, that uh, power discrepancy, as you described. Now, the internal way, um, and, and you can do both of these, right? They, they work hand in hand. The internal way is to work about uh, your goals and your valued goals and the path that you are taking there, independent of what people perceive of that path, right? So you have an ambition, and that ambition has attached to it something that you want to accomplish in your life. And you value that ambition due to what? Like, why do you value it? Okay. So you got to get your values clear, not your goals, not your ambitions. Like I want to be a good shot caller. I want to be masters or I want to be challenger. Like what you want to accomplish. I'm talking about how you want to accomplish it. I want to be on a master's tier team. Um, you know, I want to hit, I want to hit masters with my, with my five man squad. Okay. I want to hit masters with my five man squad by being a shot caller, how you do it, not what you do. Okay. I want to hit masters with my five man team. I want to hit masters with my five-man team as a leader and an outspoken individual with confidence. You know, how do you want your teammates to talk about you in a year, in five years? How do you want your your family and friends and the people who watch you play to talk about you in ten years and twenty years? What do you want your tombstone to say in a hundred years when you're lying underground and it says something about how it is that you achieved? the goals that you achieved. How, not what. Okay, that is the value. That's the valued goal, okay? So you have to understand why it is that you value being a shot caller and tie that value to your achievement. So so here's what you should do. Think about something you want to accomplish, right? And then and then think about how it is that you want to accomplish it. Like when you when you look up to a role model or when you look up to somebody that you want to be or when you envision yourself as the perfect version of yourself, what does it look like? And then and then describe like why that is important to you personally. And maybe it's a good idea to journal this, actually. I usually have the players write it down. And and after you accomplish that, then you have this, this power, this motivational power within you to power through pressure situations. Okay, so that's the first thing you need to do is you need to install the battery. You know, this is like a double A battery and you're putting it in. Now that you have the valued goal, you go back into the situation where you're hesitant and you accept the pressure. Okay, you don't try to reduce the stage fright. You don't try to reduce the choking right there. It's going to happen regardless. You don't try to reduce the pressure. You lean into it. You say, aha, a chance to live out my values. Before it was easy mode. It was not a test. You were doing it and it was easy. You didn't even have to think about it. Okay, so you were living out your values, but it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant, right? It doesn't matter if you say like, um, racism is bad when there's no racism going on, you know? 
But then when there's a whole bunch of, for example, let's, let's just take the easiest example ever in history, right? Let's talk about World War II. When there's a whole bunch of German soldiers like going down the street and like taking Jews and shipping them off to concentration camps, walking out in front of your house and saying, this is wrong, that is living out your goals when it really matters, right? The valued situation. So when it's easy mode, there's no, there's no pressure. There's no, there's no difference whether you say it or not. Uh, you're, you're not living out of value, right? You're just kind of like coasting along. It's, it's free. It's kind of like free living. But then when the pressure comes, it's a chance to actually live out the value that you espouse and that you aspire to. That's why you need the battery. That's why you need the motivation, okay? This is what martyrdom is made of. So then you go into the pressure situation. Sorry about that. My battery kicked in. And, and you're like, okay, now is a chance to, to live out who it is I aspire to be and I have this motivation and I know why I value it and I've clarified that. I've even written it down. And here's here's a chance. And it's gonna go badly. Okay. It's like I'm I'm going to be nervous. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna like jitter. I'm gonna make a bad call. I'm gonna hyperventilate. I'm going to um, you know, that this person is gonna perceive me to to be to be worse, whatever, and that's all outward focus. And it's gonna it's gonna it's fine. Like it's fine if it messes up, because the important thing is that when you accomplish it. I'll give you a simple example. Yesterday or two days ago, I had a stream of like 80 people. And uh, for some people, that's nothing, right? But for me, it was the first time I had a live audience that large. Uh, and I was like, whew. Um, actually, that's not true, right? I've talked in front of conferences, right? I've had classes and seminars much larger than that in live, in person, on stage, right? But this is something I've been working towards on Twitch for a long time. And when I started the stream, uh, all of a sudden, all these expectations and promises came up, you know, I was like, oh, I got the graphics wrong, then they got the audio wrong, then I got the questions wrong, and nothing was smooth, you know, and I felt all those mistakes kind of piling up, but the important part was that I was doing it right and pushing through, and 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 that pressure is always going to be there, and you're always going to make these mistakes, but that's not the important part. The important part is that you live out your value, and then you can be, you can be proud that you took the chance rather than the outcome of it, if that makes sense. So it is the stance that matters and the leaning into the pressure. And for that, you need this battery. Okay, that is the very long and um, two-part answer to that fantastic question. And now I think we're ready to jump into question number two. All right, let's go. Hello, Weldon. I'm a professional over-the-road truck driver who doesn't have that much time to play league. Uh, when I do play while over the road, it's with my laptop with a questionable internet connection. Uh, I don't have aspiration to become pro or anything, but I do wish to climb in rank and maybe possibly coach in the future. Uh, should I practice in just normals while on the road and leave rank when I do go home? Because uh, that's what I've been doing. Uh, are there any visualization techniques that I can work on while out on the road? Uh, should I just spend more time watching pros instead of playing while on the road? Or uh, should I just spend more time on meditation and mindfulness? Uh, I guess my main question is, how do I climb and improve my gameplay when home time on a proper gaming computer is limited? All right. I don't know how many of you are super excited about this question, but I thought it was really fantastic because it hits at the idea of the weekend warrior in a very challenging and interesting way. So first of all, thank you for calling this in and, and thank you for listening and being a fan of the show. Um, so how do you train 
while you're on the road with a suboptimal computer and you're and you're limited to like weekend warrior and i don't even know um i don't know your name on, on anchor it says creepy og so i'll just say creepy <laughs> i don't know how creepy here um if he's even a weekend warrior like maybe it's every couple weeks warrior so this is a really big challenge and i tried before the show to prep for this question i tried to think about what i would answer and i couldn't think of anything um, so I decided, you know, I've, I've got to do what I do with most of my questions, which is to come up with the answers live here on the show. Um, so let's dig into it. I think personally that, uh, so you, you have aspires to climb and to be a, be a coach. So there's, there's a number of things that you can work on while you're on the road. And personally, I think that you should not take any opportunity. You should not miss any opportunity you have to, to get a chance to train. So I would say, um, probably Instead of doing normals when you're on the road, I would say like just actually do ranked all the time no matter what, right? Because because climbing is a volume game and you need you need to take the opportunity for every single stage, high pressure, learning moment match that you have. Let me put it this way. If you play one ranked game and you have, you know, 21 good minutes of that game and then you like disconnect and get a lag spike and, and, and feed accidentally... But you have a couple moments of, uh, you know, of outplays before or underplays, or you have a little bit of uh, latency, and then and then you get yourself in a sticky situation, and then you're driving for the next four hours. You're going to be able to re, you're going to replay that game over and over and over again in your head, and you're going to cement the learnings from that that game more than almost any other person that that I can think of in terms of training. Right? You're going to have the the reminiscing quality of and the and the regret you will have from the mistakes that you make will be much more powerful if you use the the games that actually matter even in tough situations right it's not like when a soldier gets to go to war that he gets to choose the battleground that he fights on if you think of it that way okay so i want you to think of it more as a as a combat situation and you're going in and you don't know the terrain and it's going to be rough and you're going to be outnumbered and there's forces working against you in the world that you cannot control like latency and bad mouse and and messed up connection and and slow graphics whatever and you should optimize for that right when a seal goes into goes into combat like he takes his best tool so you should be on the lowest graphic settings possible you should have everything minimized you should shut off everything you should you should try to plug in whenever you can you know you should try to have a backup situation in case you get disconnected from from whatever wi-fi you're on so that you can tether into the game even um you should you should make decisions you should train your macro so that you don't have to outplay you should choose champions that are based on um you know maybe auto attacking more than spells so that you don't have to you don't have to buffer in uh uh, combos so that you can like you know uh you know work so that if you if you lag out and you're auto attacking at least you're doing damage these kinds of things right um so you should try to plan ahead for the situation you're in and bring the best tools to the table but at the end of the day you should you should enter into the high pressure kind of like fight with the with this and, and accept the limitations that that you're given and 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 then try to learn from them and allow the the results the real results of the of the loss and gain of lp to to echo inside your mind in terms of learning right everything about learning is about the power the stickiness in the neurons okay i want want to tell the story again of language learning let's say i give you a 20 question 
uh, or a, a 20 word paper of Spanish words and I have you memorize them because you're learning Spanish and I'm just like memorize these 20 words and, I, and I'm going to quiz you in you know tomorrow and you and you work on them and you and and then I and you just kind of like read them through a bunch and then I quiz you tomorrow and you might remember some of them okay now let's say you're in front of the class and you're and you're tr- and I'm asking you to remember a certain word and you mispronounce it and the entire class of 30 people is like laughing hysterically and rolling around on the floor and you're turning beet red and 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 10 years from that moment, you can literally remember the smell of the chalk in that classroom and you will never forget the correct word that you were trying to learn in that situation. Sometimes you might actually, you might only remember the embarrassment in the situation, right? But most of the time I'm talking about if you're, if you're properly focused, you're going to remember that. This is the power of high stakes situations for learning. Okay. Learning is just simply memory coding into the brain. So that is why, um, when I was a weekend warrior, I, I only allowed myself to play high stakes matches. I never queued into a normal game once. Okay. It was like I put it all on the line every game. And that meant that I had to, uh, even when I wasn't prepared, like even I was like, oh, shoot, like I'm not, I'm not ready today. I want one more day to prepare. You know, I just queued in because it is what it is. Like you can't choose sometimes when, when it is that you're going to be fighting. It just happens. Like you have to be ready for life. So I would just queue in and I would, I would have a high stakes match and I would, I would, I would put the pressure on myself and I would focus and I would mess up and and then I would be able to replay that, you know, as I was walking into work and I would and I would remember it. I would go into the next game and I would have all of these compiled learnings up there that were all macro oriented. Cuz I also played on a really crappy computer and it was a unfortunately it was a Mac and it was like a 2007 or something Mac and this is back when the when the Mac client was horrible, so it barely even functioned and mostly disconnected me from every game. So, I'm with you there on that. All right, so that's what I think about normal versus ranked. Okay, then in terms of like preparation, I think that you have a lot of time on the road for for rumination and study, and especially in the audio format. But you do you don't probably do a lot of production, and I want you to start mixing in production with the intake. So, for example, when you intake something like a, a, an audible book or a podcast or even something that you're reading, maybe and, and, and it can dictate it to you. Um, and especially you should be focusing on coaching materials, right? Leadership. And you should be practicing this leadership in the games because one thing you can always do, even if you can't get the mechanics down, is you can type and you can ping. You can focus on leadership. And and remember, leadership is giving people what they need, not what you want to say. Okay, so you got to start unpacking your teammates' psychology and figuring out what is it that they need to hear to do the right thing in the game to lead them to victory. So sometimes you need to support your teammates. Sometimes you need to you know, uh, call them to task. Sometimes you need to protect somebody. Sometimes you need to, um, you know, somebody's laying into a teammate and you need to like message them secretly and be like, Hey man, you must be having a bad day. Like, tell me about it. Like I'm here for you. These kind of things, right? You got to read the people and figure out what it is that they need to lead them to victory. Um, what they need to hear, not what you want to say, right? So you can be working on that. You can be working on pinging in, in the macro. And, and as you're studying these, these philosophies of, the leadership of people and the coaching of people, you should be do you should be mixing it with production and experience, right? So try to apply them in the game, and then try to produce reflection upon them. And I don't mean necessarily reflection just in your head. I mean like use memos. So I know that you probably can't write when you're driving, but you can dictate, and you can dictate memos, and and you can probably dictate a journal. So I would try to get out in concrete language the ideas that are forming within your mind in terms of that, in terms of the learnings from those those experiences and those studies. Because there's something fundamentally different about structuring thought 
into language and putting it into a into a into into a linguistic structure and an argument that calcifies it i would say that makes it hardened that that allows you to essentially reminisce on it and and you know this when you get enter dialogue with somebody and you're trying to explain something you're like oh it was so clear in my head a few minutes ago and now i'm talking to you and I like I can't express it's just you know you get really frustrated you're like it's it's this you know it's it's and you can't describe it and the reason is because ideas cognitions and thought do not always structure in terms of in terms of language they structure in terms of cognition and thoughts and and oftentimes you don't perceive that they are not actually formed into logic but they are formed simply into ideas and then to put those into into birth to to birth those into the world and to put them out there requires this formation, this this trial of fire where you have to like shave off things that don't exist and you have to create language for things that don't, you know, have to, you have to philosophize. You have to be a living philosopher when you take cognition and you put it into language. That's what you're doing is philosophy. You are literally Kant, you know, um, or Marx, like, like maybe not on that level, right? Because I'm not saying that you're Kant or Marx, but maybe you are. Um, but you are you are doing the act of creating uh, of creating ideas and, and forming them into from from cognition into into reality and, and communicating them. Right. This is the pathway we have between human minds is all only through language. We cannot yet do ESP. So that is what I recommend. I recommend making every game matter. And I recommend adding production to your intake. And I recommend focusing a lot on leadership, especially when you're on the road. And and yeah, of course, you're mixing in. I think you're doing the other right things you mentioned. You know, you're mixing in study. You're mixing in play, play, playing provods. You should always have the model in the mirror. You know, you should always have the model of what you want to copy. Steal stuff from other people. Don't reinvent the wheel. And then you should all, always have the mirror. You should be able to pick apart your VODs and see your mistakes. And if you can't, you should get a coach for either thing. You should get a coach to point out the model if you can't pick out stuff from from pro play and you should get a coach to point out the mirror if you can't see your own mistakes that that's always the way to accelerate those two things thank you for the amazing question and uh, i hope that this was insightful and useful to you all right guys here we go question number three hey walden thank you for having me on your show um i'm currently silver one and still learning how to climb the ladder. Uh, my question is, should I be grinding out games and learning by sheer experience? Or should I be watching my replays and learning from what I did right and wrong? Uh, my current goal is to reach um, high, high gold by the uh, end of the season. Um, let me know what you think. Thank you for having me on the show again. All right. A great question, simple question about watching more replays or grinding out games. So I don't have context on this situation, which means that I get to do a, a great generalized answer. Okay. So uh, when should you grind more games and when should you, when should you watch more replays? You want to do these things cyclically. All right. You want to, I do not like a balance. I do not like a nice tidy system of watching a couple replays watch and then and then grinding out games and then watching a couple and then like having the same exact pattern every single day you know what that smells like it smells like complacency and a lulled mind into a pattern of of like 
kind of slow growth, okay? And consistent, sloping, slow growth is fine for a lot of people. And and it's and it's one way to do it is to like slowly build up over time, you know? But we know this from, like, let me give you an analogy, okay? This is a story. So it's analogous to your situation, but it's not exactly the same thing, right? Let's say you have these two people that go to the gym, okay? And one person goes in and he does. He has this system, and he does the same thing every day, right? He does on Monday, he does this, and on Tuesday, he does this, and on Wednesday, he does this. He does the same weights, he does the same body parts, and he does the same system, and he increments it by a little bit each time, and he just kind of grinds it out. We know what that ends with, right? We know that it ends with a, a like a plateauing of weight. We know that it ends with like a very kind of slow growth over time. We know that it ends with very specialized kind of like set of strength, and and it doesn't it doesn't end with a with 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 probably with the goals that the person has in mind in terms of like uh, insane uh, edge of the bell curve hypertrophy or strength, okay? Now let's look at the athlete who is training for either insane hypertrophy or insane strength. What do they do? They go into the gym and they shock their system, right? They, they exit the gym and then the next day they cannot use that leg or that muscle, where they cannot use those body parts. They they put their state into a their body into a state of shock where adaptation and recovery is the pathway to higher strength or or higher hypertrophy. Okay. This is how the mind works in a similar way as well. Okay. Where if you give the, the mind a chance to be lazy, it will simply stop paying attention and sit back and relax and be like, ah, oh, finally, a nice calm system and I don't have to shock or think myself into any situation. But if you look at high growth moments, if you look at learning, remember the story I told earlier in the podcast about the, you know, the studying of the of the vocabulary quiz in the very safe way versus standing in front of the classroom and being embarrassed and that being branded in your mind forever. The shock to the system and the all in back and forth of of um, keeping the brain guessing and and making sure that it never knows what's important, so it treats everything as important is essential. And I'll give you a, a piece of research that I think highlights this to back it up. So when I was teaching language for six years at the high school and university level, uh, of course, I read every single research paper I could on language learning. And I and I focused a lot on my pedagogy and my structuring of, of my teaching. And one of the things that I did was I, I learned as much as I could about feedback as possible. And one of the most interesting findings about writing feedback, so feedback on on writing for for the purposes of language learning in higher education, right? So this is like late high school and university level, is that randomized, um, randomized and sudden feedback is the most powerful feedback for recalling lessons learned and reducing errors in future work right? So you have a piece of paper, right? And, and you, you have a student write an essay. Then you have them write another essay. And you look, how many errors did they repeat in the next essay? How many bad habits did they carry over to the new essay? Okay. And when people get feedback that is delayed from the, from the writing moment, so you know they write something and then they don't get feedback for a week or two weeks or three weeks later. And when they get feedback on everything and, they, and kind of like all the mistakes and they get feedback on, on you know, all of the the nice things too, then they make the same errors more often in the next essay. But when they get feedback that is very close to the creative event, so when they get uh, as close as possible to the actual writing of the essay, and it's randomized. So you pick out 
um, you just like highlight one thing really strongly. You know, you just randomly jump in and you give you give like intense critical feedback. And this is true mostly for negative feedback. Intense critical feedback about one thing, and you ignore the other stuff. There's much more repair. There's much less sudden uh, like repetition of that error in the future. So there's actual learning, right? So the, when the brain expects feedback. And when the brain is disassociates the feedback from the learning event, there is no learning. But when the creative event and the feedback and is there, and when the brain does not expect it and it's sudden and harsh, or when it's sudden and good, then the brain does learning. And by learning, I mean neurogenesis, right? I mean the wiring up of neurons in order to not repeat the mistake or, or in order to reinforce the good thing, okay? So... You want to you want to accomplish the same thing to your brain when you're doing grinding and grinding out games and replays. You want to you want to be ready for the thing that you're doing. So if you're if you're lulled into grinding games and you plateaued, you immediately want to like just I want I always tell people do more or less of what you're doing. So you should if you're if you're plateauing, you should gr- and you're grinding out games, you should like double your volume. You should go insane with the grinding out games, or you should cut it in half and you should just like do only VOD reviews, right? And the brain will just like be shocked. It'll be like the weight room where you go in and you do something completely different and super intense, some new way or angle of doing the muscle. Um, and then, uh, and then when you when you're doing feedback, you know, and, and you're doing vod review, sometimes you just you just play it. You're grinding out games and grinding out games. Then you stop and you like vod review the last game and you and you and you meet with a coach and you are super critical of every single error you make. And the brain is like, whoa, like we're grinding out game, 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 game. And then all of a sudden we stopped and we spent an hour reviewing one game. And going over every single like harsh mistake and, and like standing up and you're like, like no, I'm not going to make that mistake again and visualizing it and writing out plans and writing out a to-do list. And you let's say you never touch the plans at the to-do list again, but the brain's like, what the heck is going on? You know, you're super critical and analyzing yourself. And these are the kind of, kind of um, like sudden uh, events that promote breaking through plateaus, right? And so my recommendation is you should grind out games and then you should, when that is not working, you should... Go all in on replays and VODs and, and getting a coach. And when that's not working, you should dump all of that and you should grind out games. You just increase volume crazily. I like to do high volume and then low volume, high intensity. And then high volume, kind of like low intensity, just grind it out. And then low volume, high intensity, where you're hyper analyzing everything. And if you go through that cycle, you will keep the brain guessing and you will keep the brain fresh and you will keep the brain learning and and you will often have to go backwards and rebuild basics, but you will always be progressing upwards and forwards. And that's what I recommend. Whew, guys, what do you think? These questions today are amazing. And, and I feel like they're really opening, opening up and helping me frame a lot of really great ideas that, that, I, that I'm trying, that I've been using successfully in my pro coaching for a long time and that I'm trying to calcify and feed out to you guys, both as players and as coaches. I hope that this is valuable to you. It sounds like I'm really getting out some of the fundamental philosophies of my coaching philosophy and some of the fundamental ideas that kind of drive how it is that I structure learning for my athletes and how I structure learning even for my language students, you know, years ago. And uh, boy, it's really exciting because I, some of the most fun times I had in my life were the, the detailed picking apart of my lectures and the refinement of how it is that, you know, that I'm presenting to today's material and how it is that I'm giving critical advice on people's presentations and, you know, picking out the one thing that I want to prioritize. And, and I remember carrying that over into my scrim review, you know, like thinking about just how, when I was watching a student presentation and, ah, this is the thing I want to prioritize and jumping in, you know, sometimes I would jump up and I would literally stop a student's presentation in the middle and I would jump on something. And I know 
for a fact, I knew for a fact when I did that, that they would learn that thing so hard, they would never forget that moment. Um, and it was really fun to do that. And I remember pausing scrims once um, at TSM and like literally jumping in and pulling a, a player out into the hallway um, and then going back in. And I remember looking again for that mistake in the future and never, ever seeing it. And I was just thinking like, this is pedagogy at its finest. This is understanding, you know, neurology and and the effect of feedback and how it works in the brain at its at its utmost. It was like one of the most exciting moments I think I had in my coaching. I was like, ha, I nailed it on that one. Uh, it was super fun. I remember also the, the, the weight of expectations, right? I remember after the first, one of the first losses we ever had with TSM in 2016 versus Echo Fox, where we lost the first game in a best of three in a really horrible way. Like it was like one of those, oh, TSM has a 5k lead. Okay. Um, I, we've already lost, you know, kind of situations. Um, and I remember that I think that they expected maybe admonishment backstage or they expected, um, like you guys were too passive or they expected, um, I don't know. I don't know what they expected, but I was like, whatever they're expecting, I need to not give it to them. Right. I need to give them what something they do not expect in their mind, something that will shape the next 60 minutes of their next game as a fundamental philosophy. And I chose the frame of reference of um, you let them walk all over you. Like you essentially uh, gave them, like gave them too much politeness. You gave them too much respect. You gave them too much authority over and dominion over over what you were as a player like you were playing in your mind against an opponent that was unworthy of your of your assessment of their skill at that level and so you were predicting moves that they were not doing in fear of the fact that they might actually accomplish them and you essentially let them walk all over you with that but in your own mind and that led to your own downfall and so I was like, I basically framed the idea that like, you don't push against an imaginary opponent in your head and expect the moves. I want you to push against reality. I want you to push against the opponent until they bite back. And if they never bite back, I want you to end the game in seven minutes. Like that should be the mindset going in. You don't push against the imaginary SKT when you're playing this version of Echo Fox, this new version of Echo Fox this year, 2017, no, 2018 spring split, different beast, right? But here back in 2016 summer split, it was the 017 Echo Fox or something like that. I don't know. It was the, it was the bad Echo Fox. I'm sorry, Rick. That team didn't manage to pull it out for you. But um, but fantastic job on the roster building. Oh, I love the new squad. Anyway, um, you don't push against the imaginary SKT and let let weak opponents walk all over you. You push against the reality until you feel the bite and you you are merciless in your aggression. And I think in the second game, they went out and they closed the game in like 21 minutes. And I was like, that is proactivity. And, um, and I remember like months later hearing the same message coming out in interviews with the players, you know, um, and and thinking like wow that really stuck like i chose well the shock to the system that was not expected that allowed them to have this very incredible moment in the next game that calcified that learning forever right 
So much so that like in interviews, like months later, they'd incorporated it into their philosophy of the game. And I, and I really liked that. really liked that moment. Okay, anyway, story time's over, you guys. Final question coming up. Before I jump into that, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to promote the, the Mac program, which is my Weldon's training program. It's an online video course, okay? This is my answer to the lack of time that I have to train amateur players now. The fact that I am basically booked up, solid, um, and I do mostly, you know, one-on-ones and, and work with pro teams. So, but my aspiration is to change the world fundamentally at the amateur level. Like, that's why I got into eSport in the first place, was to affect local live amateur scenes. And the Mac program is my developmental answer for doing that. It's currently in its third version, and the fourth version is going to be amazing. The first MVP is going to be very much the same exact thing as what the Mac program is now, right? But it's going to be all updated content. But then... Um, but then it's going to have all of these awesome, fun new features like the ability for coaches to buy it for their team at the amateur level and monitor their progress, things like that. But right now, it's, uh, it's, it's in version three. It's this online video training course, and it covers the fundamentals of mental resilience and, and a lot of the concepts I'm, I'm talking about on the show but in a very structured way with all this pedagogy thing that I'm talking about, you know, pedagogy, I, I love pedagogy, all of that kind of embedded in it. So it's, it's basically, this, this is what it is, a daily video. And in the video, there's a lecture about 15 to 20 minutes, and then a meditation for 10 minutes about, you know, starts with five minutes, maybe goes up to 15 towards the end. And that's it. 50 videos in a row, 50 days in a row of that divided up into seven modules, you know, of seven days each. So seven, seven weeks. So that's what it is. And, and it's based on the ideas of mindfulness or so awareness of what it is, what emotions are currently coursing through your body and then acceptance of that state. So instead of trying to avoid emotions and avoid pressure, accepting them and then commitment to valued goals. These, these goals I was talking about before, not the what, but the how you do things. Commitment to the how so that you can lean into the pressure, lean into the emotion, overcome it and discipline yourself to do what needs to be done uh, as you see the world and as you see fit so that you can kind of craft your future and your reality with with agency by being an actor by making decisions um a very very uh okay i'm not going to get into that because that would that would go forever but but anyway make sure to check out the mac program you can use the code ask weldon to show that you came from this show and uh you can check it out on mindgames.gg slash mac and right now it's in the it's in the the same pricing model that I've had throughout the entire time, which is you pay once, you get it forever, and a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. Not a hundred percent guarantee like the kind of sleazy workout you know program slash diet pill where it's going to make you lose weight or whatever or get mentally resilient. Satisfaction guarantee meaning if you don't like it, just there's a refund button right there. Click it, you get your money back. Um, it's it's not like I I am aspiring to take your money. Um, I am aspiring to to provide this and and give enough incentive for you to do it uh, while also building the next version of the program on the back of what this pro that the funding from this program right so every single dollar right now goes into the development of the new program essentially so that's what it is you use the code ask well then you get the discount um, and and uh, check it out tell me if you like it in a few weeks we're going to take everybody who's in the program uh, and we're going to grandfather you into the the new version and the beta, and you guys get to get to be using the new app. And then uh, and then we'll shut down Mac version three, and we'll turn on the app. And it's I'm really excited. I'm really excited for that day. So yeah, that is the Mac program. And now let's jump into the final question of the show from 
a guy named Ryan who sounds exactly like L.S. Hi, Weldon. Uh, it's of my opinion that one of the most important things in life is to be able to laugh at yourself. Um, I was wondering if you agreed with this, and if so, what are some of the best ways to help people, especially the youth, see this? Uh, I know it's not something that'll just happen overnight, but currently my sister really struggles with it. She's 14, and I was trying to think of different ways to help her out and help her understand this concept. All right. Thank you, Ryan, for that question. And now, as you can see, the video froze. Sorry, podcast listeners, you probably don't know this, but I'm going to change the battery in my camera because apparently I did not change it before the show. Like I said, I had a little bit of insomnia last night, got up at... Ended up waking up at 1.30 and staying up all night. So there's a little update for you that uh, is probably the reason why I forgot to change the camera battery. So apologies for that, podcast listeners and YouTube audience. We're going to get right back online before we jump into the answer. All right, so now I think the camera's going to be on. Oh, it's actually pretty well focused. Good enough. All right, how do you teach people... Young teenagers to laugh at themselves. That is the question. And that is a very, um, first of all, interesting angle, right? So it's not just like, how do you learn to laugh at yourself? You know, as a, as a, as a late teens, 20 something, according to my YouTube analytics, uh, 18 to 35 year old male, how do you learn to laugh at yourself? But how do you teach younger teens to laugh at themselves? Uh, it's particularly the 14 year old demo that and female, that is a challenge, right? Um, I don't know if you remembered being 12 to 18 years old, but you take life really seriously. And it is a massively internal world there. And not only that, but there is a um, there is no good answer, okay? Because everybody's brain is so different at this time. I'll, I'll give an example of something that I saw recently. I was at a neuroscience conference. So I was at a conference where there they were a bunch of neuroscientists and it was about learning, okay? Um, I believe it had an as, uh, you know, aspect of language learning. Now, I think it was just pedagogy and learning, yeah. So it was about neurogenesis and, and things like that. So I saw this poster and um, why does my camera just look out of focus to me? There we go. Um, I saw this poster where they were showing brain scans, averaged brain scans from an EEG uh, machine. No, might have been an MEG machine. And they were showing the brain structure of concentration across the age range of five years old to, to 35 years old, grouped by, you know, average and essentially, what you see from 25 to 27-ish onward is the same exact areas of the brain lighting up as for all humans, right? Male, female, whatever whatever race, whatever situation, whatever nation, whatever education system, whatever, it doesn't matter. You have the same areas of the brain lighting up for concentration and executive functioning. But from 5 until 25 it is a crapshoot. I mean, it is literally the brain just being like, what the heck is going on? I have no idea how to focus. Trying to figure out how to do executive functioning, you know? Like, this person's brain might just fire over here, and this person's firing over here, and this person's firing over there, and all of them are trying to figure out, how do I concentrate? How do I discipline myself? How do I set goals and achieve them? And this is why 
you are more productive after the age of 25 than before the age of 25 when you're a teenager because your brain literally does not know where to go to concentrate on something. It's not all your fault when you're in school and you're like, I can't focus on this because your brain doesn't even know how to focus yet. Um, and I don't mean I don't mean it doesn't know how to focus yet. What I mean is that it's firing different areas of the brain than a 25-year-old to death is going to use to focus. So you are focusing, right? But you're doing it a little bit inefficiently. Um, so when we're talking about how it is that you teach teenagers of a specific age to learn something... I am not enough an expert in child development to know the different stages the brain goes through to know what and how to teach at different ages in different developmental stages. But I do know one thing. Teenagers really need uh, like self-confidence and it has to come through agency. It can't come through somebody it and, and through somebody else like loving them, right? It, it can't just be that they are massively loved by somebody else and accepted by somebody else, it has to be coupled with self-acceptance and self-love. And so the greatest gift that you can give a teenager is um, to show them that they are an agent in their own life. So to, to help them make decisions where their decisions involve action that involve positive consequences and choices in their own life and to accept them uh, no matter what. And this is hard because uh, a lot of times teenagers just challenge that. They're pushing against it to see like, ha, see, you don't actually accept me, right? This is something that kids do all the time. See, you don't actually accept me. They, they test the limits to find out where, what it is that says that you don't accept me, right? So unconditional acceptance and love is something that is very difficult to give. But if you can give that, if you can build the foundation and the basis for self-confidence, self-worth, then you can cut out the sense of shame that people feel when they when something bad happens, right? And this shame is the real inhibitor of laughter when you're laughing at yourself. You need to have something bad happen to yourself and you need to be vulnerable enough with yourself and vulnerable enough with people who you care about that you can sense emotions besides shame, that you can move past the shame and you can go into things like guilt or things like embarrassment um, or things that are not associated with identity, right? Like instead of like, oops, that was bad, I made a mistake. People are feeling, oops, I am bad, I am a mistake, okay? And that is what you need to counteract. You have to remove that shame. You have to help people feel, like get to the level of vulnerability where they say, uh, I am good, but I did a bad, or I did a mistake, right? And so if you can get somebody there, the laughing is just a is just one way of coping with it, right? You can just be like, hey, I like to laugh it off. You like to shrug it off. You know, you like to be serious about it. But whatever it is, it doesn't need to be laughing it off, right? It just needs to be like they identify as, as doing a, a mistake or messing up rather than being a mistake or being a mess up. And that comes from this sense of self-worth that develops out of the social environment and a social basis and also from a fundamental identity basis right where they have to be they have to be able to feel like they they have agency and they have a definition of who they are that is independent also of other people even though as a teenager it weighs heavily on what other people kind of like think of you and and, and say to you and unconditional acceptance is one of the things that allows them allows teenagers to uh, open up about stuff like that so um also 
one thing that I would recommend, and this is this is something that, that might work for females, definitely works for males. I don't know how it works for females, okay? Because there's a little bit of gender here in terms of hero worship. But I try to make uh, my my athletes and especially my my kids into heroes of their own story, right? So if you can if you can help people narrate and tell the story of their life, and you can make them the hero in their own story, and you can show them that you see the things they are doing as heroic actions, then you're halfway there. The number one way that I get into that I get into the mindset and the workings of pro teams and the pro players is that I help pro players see themselves as making heroic choices in the face of adversity. Esports is not a game to the people doing esport professionally. It is a battle. And the decisions we make are not simple ones. They are heroic ones. Okay. And once you have that frame of reference, you can see that the impact of a simple decision with a, with a teammate has eternal consequences in terms of how it is that you value, um, how it is that you plan to live out your life and what kind of person you want to be. And you take that immense eternal meaning and you boil it down to the action in an esport game or the action in a scrim or the action to a teammate. And all of a sudden, a simple choice about right and wrong becomes a heroic choice because it identifies and amplifies like a value that they want to hold concurrently their entire life. And that is how I like to frame learnings in esport. And that is how I think you can get through to a lot of teenagers to help them listen is to show the heroic, uh, like meaning of the choices that they are making in their life and paint them, uh, paint them, help them paint a narrative, uh, that, that has meaning beyond just what they're doing. Because understand that every teenager already kind of lives in a world where a single action has immense consequences to the, to the universe, right? That's kind of like the default state. So that's my answer. I hope that it was helpful. Ryan, I'm glad that I finally know your name. I think that I got that right. Let me check my spreadsheet. Sorry. Yes, Ryan. Um, I've been calling you Nick or LS this whole time because I just didn't know. Uh, and you and you labeled your Discord name LS secretly LS. So, so uh, I so you weren't impersonating somebody else. Thank you. I knew that I know that you're not LS, but um, but glad that you called in again. And that's the show for today. Thank you so much for paying attention. Sorry that we went long, but I think that the value is immense. And if you want to hear this as audio only people are always asking. There is a podcast. All you have to do is check it out in the description down below. Go to anchor.fm slash wellandgreen. You can find all the places where you can follow the podcast there. You can go to mindgames.gg slash podcast. Hopefully I have that updated by the time this goes live, but probably not. You can find the old podcast links there. Um, so probably anchor.fm slash wellandgreen is the best place to go for that. And you can also catch this live. I'm about to hop into the after show with Twitch chat and try to scroll up and answer all the questions that popped in during this YouTube filming, but you can check it out live twitch.tv slash mind games Weldon. And I will see you guys tomorrow. Make sure to like and subscribe. All right. That's the show for today. If you made it this far, congrats to you for sticking around for an entire hour long segment. I know that audio is a lot easier to parse than video. Um, there's a lot more distractions on the internet. And if you're listening to this on your podcast, maybe you're running, maybe you're in the gym or something, then uh, then maybe it's a little easier to stick around, but still you have achieved the full length show. Congratulations. And thank you so much for, uh, for listening. And I appreciate your attention and your time. Remember again, that if you check out the Mac program to use the code podcast, you can of course use the Ask Weldon Show code that is in the, that is in the, uh, po that is in the video. 
program itself, but I recommend using the podcast code. It gives you an extra dollar discount. And then I know that you came here from the Weldon Green audio section. All right. Have a great day and I will see you guys tomorrow. Or I guess you'll hear me tomorrow. <laughs>